0: Could THC have more benefit than CBD for symptom relief? Well, today we talk with Dr. Jacob Miguel Vahil, an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of New Mexico. He also founded the Medical Cannabis Research Fund. Let me first start out by saying thank you to Podcast Powertrain for helping produce my show. These are the guys you need behind you if you're looking to start your podcast. Also, I'd like to thank... Powered by Riverside FM. That's right. Our show is powered by Riverside FM, one of the best platforms to actually have a podcast on. So I'm going to have some links at the end of the show or in the show notes. Check them out. These are the two people that you need to get up, get with to make your podcast top 100.
1: Good dudes grow 2.0 on the good dudes grow 2.0. We're here to let you know the importance of plant based medicine and psychedelics on mental and physical health. We're bringing you stories of how these medicines have changed lives and can save lives. We want to teach you the healing power of plant-based medicine. This is The Good Dude
0: Grow 2.0. Dr. V Hill I'm happy you to be on the show with us today. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. I'm just, um, so we don't do as much physiology. We're trying to tinker with the brain and
1: trying to figure out how the mind works.
0: Got it. Hey, listen, So, like we were talking offline before, uh, I researched a couple of things. You do everything, kind of studies with cannabis. You did everything from writing publications on acid reflux, the treat of insomnia. What really got me interested in you was actually, I'm working with firefighters, trying to help them with pain relief and our sleeping habits are terrible. So trying to help them with that. Also PTSD and unfortunately also what got me into it. And I'll be honest with you, this is why really why I wanna talk to you is I lost my daughter to an opiate overdose. So a lot of your studies showed that cannabis can help uh, on the opiate side and kind of like help them weed off in the pain management side. So that's why I wanted to try and get you on the show and I'm glad you can come. But first introduce yourself, tell me what you're doing now, what's going on and we'll go from there. Sure, so as you mentioned, my name is Jacob Miguel Vigil. I am an associate professor in the
1: psychology department. At the university of new mexico i am as you mentioned a full-time cannabis researcher i didn't start off this way i actually started off as a very traditional type of a theorist as traditional as a theorist can be um did a lot of work on pain perception and trying to write about human nature and developmental processes and so forth. a few years back and this is my story when i was coming up for tenure um in the academic process i really took a step back and i started to look at my own work and a lot of the work around me and it didn't seem like a lot of those efforts were actually amounting to improvements in our society and um you know it's not to to degrade other people's life efforts and so forth but when i looked in the mirror i thought that i could do more than what i was currently doing and at that time i also opened my eyes to all the suffering that was taking place around me, amongst my community members, and what I call secondary victimization, that is the lack of efficacy from traditional uh, conventional pharmaceutical medications, along with, um, you know, oftentimes, the unbearable side effects of those medications. And, you know, this dependence on pharmaceutical medications is very frustrating to me because it feels as though we've been duped into accepting something that is subpar and um, you know converging on those two ideas that i wanted to do something that was really meaningful i wanted to make a difference in the world and then seeing all the improvements that could be made to our healthcare delivery I just converged those. So I decided to focus full time on medical cannabis research. Um, You know, the plant is amazing. I call it a a super medication because it is so efficacious for such a broad array of different types of health uh, symptoms, as well as being fast acting. And then you couple that with the relatively minimal side effects relative to other conventional medications. And you have something that's really um, something special. And I do think that cannabis can find its way into most people's lives to some degree, maybe, you know, not using it all the time or for different types of reasons. But I do think that it can improve
0: many people's lives if they learn how to use it uh, efficiently for their own needs. Yeah, I understand that 100%. My personal story, like I said, I, I personally got involved in checking it out I wanted to see for like investment type stuff when it first came out, especially in the East Coast. It came out a little bit. We're not as we're a little bit behind the curve compared to where you guys are technically are. So when I started looking at it, it wasn't legal. You couldn't get hemp. You couldn't get anything. I was not into CrossFit. I wanted to recover better, recover faster. I heard about uh, marijuana, medical marijuana. And I said, oh, well, maybe there's some other type because as a firefighter, I can't take that stuff. So Maybe something about this hemp. So I tried to get involved in that. And then when I started seeing what was happening with my daughter, I got more to the background of what the plant can actually do. And that's how I started investigating more and more. And then from there, it brought me into, hey, this can actually help my fellow firefighters because they have depression and sleep troubles and all that. So I kind of fell into that as a personal reason and then slowly started seeing, hey, I can change lives and help my fellow firefighters stop them from having suicidal thoughts if that makes sense of course yeah and
1: um you know we are plagued as a society by many epidemics that is chronic pain uh, chronic anxiety and chronic depression and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight and the medications that we use to treat those are oftentimes you know plagued with negative side effects and they're not optimal So there's a lot of room for improvement, and this is an incredibly stressful world. We don't even have to talk about how stressful this world is, particularly right now. But what we've shown is that for the vast majority of users, probably 95% plus, cannabis tends to calm them down. It tends to reduce the intensity of the anxiety that they might be feeling momentarily so um, oftentimes we hear uh, counter types of information and that sometimes cannabis can make one paranoid or it could create different types of hallucinations or uh, you know and anxiety and so forth but for the vast majority of folks it does tend to calm the mind down and um, that is vital for folks that have experienced trauma in their life and you know there are so many folks out there that are dealing with these experiences that they cannot escape from and at least what I could tell you anecdotally is a lot of folks that have been those with PTSD tend to find remedy in using either, you know, cannabis with THC or as you're referring to him.
0: Correct. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a conversation started with not just my department, but other departments, even if we could actually get the THC. Because I know you did a study between THC and CBD, uh, which one is more beneficial. I'm trying to get the lower end, just a little bit of THC in our, in our department and trying to talk with them about opening those doors. But one thing I wanted to ask you uh, on your, uh, through your research uh, targeting the endocannabinoid system, because a lot of people don't think, don't understand that system. They don't, they they really don't think they were never taught it, first of all but now they think this is a made up system because people are trying to sell cannabis to us. What's it about? How do you target it? How does the cannabis help with all that?
1: Sure, the endocannabinoid system essentially is a composite of different types of receptors that are activated by endocannabinoids. That is uh, uh, molecules that naturally form and develop within the body and they're also reactive to phytocannabinoids so those molecules that are found in the plant in and of itself and what we know is that the endocannabinoid system seems to be responsible for many uh, basic types of bodily functioning meaning sleep appetite sex drive um, stress responses and so forth so we have this system that has receptors that are particularly specialized To react to phytochemicals in the plant in ways that tend to result in what people call a homeostatic reaction so kind of a calming down of perturbations in our functioning so when we respond to a stressor our body produces a real specific response and that taxes the body and um, oftentimes it's, it's coupled with negative sensations anxiety and so forth so what the endocannabinoid system seems to do is kind of you know, tie, tie back these extreme reactions to a place that is consolidating energy. And what that seems to be experienced like viscerally is a sense of calmness, um, uh, pain reduction, um, lessened uh, feelings of depression and so forth. So we have a bodily system that is intertwined across many different types of Uh, functions, and um, it is responsive to these phytocannabinoids in ways that is quite remarkable. So this is something that's very different than our traditional medical approaches, where we're trying to tinker with specific sites within the body. And oftentimes we're trying to put a band-aid on something that we presume is broken. So this is a classic medical model. So the model uh, uh, basically rests on the presumption that if, if the individual is not feeling good, then there's something broken with the body, okay? So if you're taking that approach, the natural response would be to try to find what's broken and try to fix it. Well, you know, we could take that approach with something uh, like depression and it doesn't seem to work too well, right? So we spent billions of dollars trying to figure out what's wrong or broken in the depressed mind to no avail all right so we haven't been able to fix depression so that suggests that perhaps depression has its own biological functions and if you kind of keep that in mind then perhaps you know just kind of persuading the whole body as a whole and whole bodily systems might be a better approach than trying to tinker with individual sites in ways that oftentimes have unintended consequences. So um, we're dealing with something that's, that's quite different, and it also presents its own challenges. So the lack of standardization of the actual molecules and chemicals in the plant from batch to batch or even across clones presents a lot of problems. And not only presents problems for physicians in that they have uh, the challenge of trying to prescribe something or direct something for their patients, that's always variable. It's very problematic for scientists in trying to measure something that um, basically is not uniform. So, you know, we spend a lot of money, some money, millions of dollars, um, trying to investigate different uh, the effects of different strains of, of cannabis that's obtained through the federal government and so forth. And, We've written about this. You know, oftentimes those studies don't have a lot of generalizability because they're testing such low potency levels that they really don't apply to people. But essentially that kind of hallmarks the challenge for scientists in that how do you research something that is always variable and how do you research something in a way that will generalize to individuals that might be using a different product. And then finally, obviously, this heterogeneity of the product in and of itself presents challenges for the patient. So this requires that patients continue to experiment because they're never really going to get the same thing twice, Um, not exactly the same type of product and you know a lot of folks will you know describe this as problematic and reasons why we shouldn't be allowing folks to use cannabis i personally uh, see this experimental uh, experimentalization as a good thing um, it forces individuals to interact with the medication that they're taking to to learn from the choices that they've made and to respond uh, accordingly. So I, I think this added responsibility is a good thing, and um, you know, just keeping people mindful of what they're actually putting in their body and and um, and how they're reacting to it is a really good thing. It's very frustrating for me to see, you know either our vets or other types of uh, citizens out there that are just following their doctor's orders. Or following the orders of whatever and they don't think twice about the medication that they're taking or whether or not it even seems to be helping them right so somebody like my mom will take whatever she's been prescribed and she won't question it even if it seems to be hurting her um and that to me is so frustrating i don't know how we got to this place in society where you know our own decision making over the most basic elements of our of our existence like our health has been stripped away from us it's like it's almost like we've been tricked into not thinking for ourselves and using common sense so um, there's a lot of challenges in in using cannabis in that regard but I also think that it's a new age and I think that our society is is ready we're at this watershed moment where we're kind of tired of you know, our our longevity kind of being reduced with succeeding generations, like what's up with this? It's 2021 now, we have all these health problems and we're dying at earlier ages. Um, we could do better than that. And I think that, uh, you know, folks are gonna start to gravitate towards the natural medications and, and looking after their food more so, because I think that we are starting to uh, realize that the world is very
0: dangerous and um, some of those medications might be part of the danger. I I couldn't agree more 100%. I also work as a, a personal trainer and a fitness person. And I work with a hospital because I'm a medical exercise specialist. And I see it all the time where I say, well, they told me not to squat. I'm like, so basically they're just telling you don't ever sit in your life. They're like, no. No, I can sit. Well, well that's what a squat is. It's said you gotta, it's gotta ask your doctors these questions. Ask them if the like you said, is, is the medication gonna hurt me? How is it gonna have side effects? Is it gonna stop me from doing this? Ask more questions and be more knowledgeable of what you're putting in your body. You'll know what works and doesn't work. Sure. Yeah, and I think
1: people that you know should listen to their body and and just and, and own that. So one of my missions on earth is to try to empower people to take responsibility over their own health. And to empower them to know that they are in control of their own health and they don't have to just be stuck
0: with subpar uh, treatment. And is that, is that how you kind of also came out with the, uh, the uh, I know you got a YouTube t- t- channel called the Cannabis Connection University where you actually inform people, kind of like what I'm trying to do with my podcast, you kind of inform everybody and let them make their decisions on better
1: education? Sure. So just like the research, you know, there's some folks that are doing research out there, but there weren't enough of them. So I decided to just to take up that mantle and to do it myself. And the same thing with the education. You know, we have a system whereby taxpayers are paying for a lot of research that they oftentimes don't even have access to the results. So, you know, a lot of these findings get published and they're, they're archived and databases and so forth. And you have to be affiliated with the university to even see the results of what you paid for as a taxpayer, right? So that's wrong. And, um, you know, so part of our mission is to provide education directly to patients. And um, we like to talk about... Some of our own findings and findings in general, but I guess the point is, is that if we could just reach one patient and empower them to make decisions in their life that improve their life, then it's completely worth it. So as an educator, as a scientist, I could do nothing more valuable than to try to translate my life efforts into ways that improve at least one individual out there. And um, that's what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah. On that point, I saw speaking of data, education and science, I saw you guys came out with kind of like a a live app as you you, you did to actually gather some data on the the, the speculation or difference between THC and CBD. Is that correct? And you gathered as the patients were using it, they were actually able to go on the app and give them live.
1: Sure. Yeah. So we've actually been working with the developers of the relief app. And this came about as a result of a failed grant writing opportunities for, to try to build an app like this. So um, some colleagues and I thought it would be a great study to basically compare the effects of cannabis against other conventional medications like opiates with regard to daily functioning and, and uh Uh, well-being and so forth. And we applied for several federal grants to build this app. And we thought that these basic studies were really important, significant. And we were very surprised that they didn't get funded, but they didn't and I was much more naive a couple years back with regard to all these opportunities but I'm a much uh, wiser person at this point but the the point is is that um, we were not able to build the app that we wanted to basically measure the effects of medication usage in real time and at that time my colleagues actually identified these developers of the relief app and they essentially built an app that is perfect for scientific purposes but they actually built it for um, for the family members that were taking cannabis so the basic point of the app is to report, to record the characteristics of the products that individuals are taking, as well as their real-time reactions to those products, so that the patient has immediate feedback uh, going forward, so that they know that, okay, this kind of strain seemed like it had this reaction, I'd like that, I didn't have, I'd like that, um, they might uh, uh, trade off the strain for another strain or whatever. But um, the app is really great in that it provides basically a recording of one's, visceral reactions uh, to different types of cannabis products, and it provides graphs for the patients and all that type of stuff. But we've essentially been working with these guys for a while now, it's been about three years or so, and we've measured different types of symptoms that are recorded within the app, the app actually measures dozens of, of different types of uh, symptoms and health conditions and so forth. And we've done work with regard to pain, anxiety, depression, uh, insomnia, um, uh, many different types of health conditions. And it's a really useful tool. So if folks want to download it, it's certainly free. And, and um, I think it's the best app out there for recording real-time effects of cannabis usage. And I sort of like to brag about this. I don't like to brag in general. I'm very grateful and very blessed. But um, this is, uh, they actually have the largest database in the United States of real time effects of cannabis usage. So we have this huge database that is just remarkable. Um, and it allows us to essentially parallel a clinical study that would otherwise have to be uh, conducted under all these artificial conditions and it would be very expensive and so forth. So by you know essentially observing individuals, actual reactions in real time to their natural behaviors, we're essentially able to get this really rich data. Um, So we could look at, for example, the associations between different cannabinoid levels and different aspects of symptom relief with regard to pain, anxiety, or whatever, but also it it records whatever the individual actually inputs into the system. So if they have um, some terpene uh, information available, they could enter that and we have tens of thousands of sessions that actually have a lot of different types of information with regard to terpenes. So we're right now tapping into these uh, chemovares, essentially clusters of different types of chemicals, not only THC, but THC and CBD, as well as uh, limonene and myrcene and all these different terpenes. And we're essentially tackling the problem domain of trying to put together these profiles. So we know that um, THC isn't the whole picture, CBD isn't the whole picture. In fact, I think in the future, uh, THC is gonna be, you know it's not gonna be thought of as this big old horrible or even significant player. Because once we learn about how these chemicals are synergistically interacting together, um, it's gonna paint a much more complicated picture. But right now we're tackling the problem domain of trying to put together these clusters and what are the meaningful, uh, characteristics of a particular strain that is associated with a greater or lesser efficacy with regard to any particular type of condition. Um, but I'll just say one more thing really quickly is that this huge database is also allowing us to tap into tolerance effects. So there's very little scientific research out there on tolerance. And it's not the same as like alcohol. So, you know, you could drink whiskey or beer or whatever, and that alcohol content is uh, basically a one-to-one predictor of intoxication and um, you know and you could measure tolerance with regard to exposure to alcohol in and of itself. Cannabis is different so you could be uh, you know using a high THC strain and get a tolerance to that and um, essentially you could switch over to something that has lower THC and feel greater effect. So it's not even only about the THC in and of itself and to be honest as scientists we don't we don't know how cannabis tolerance works yet. And it's certainly important. It could, it could be associated with logistical uh, significance, like with regard to driving impairment and so forth, um, but also with regard to its potential uh, medical benefits. So um, it might be possible that we could compound different types of chemo bears um, in ways that might be uh, even more efficacious than perhaps a single strain alone with regard
0: to combating
1: cancer or diabetes or whatever.
0: That, that's absolutely amazing. It's kind of like if we, like in the fitness industry, they had like a, a micro app so they could take their own uh, nutrients down, take what they're eating, how they're feeling and everything else, but on the cannabis side. So that's why you're kind of right, correct? That kind of database kind of make you take it, write it down, see how you feel and this way, you know, maybe dosing wise, if you should take more, take less. Is that correct? Sure. I mean, the classic patient I have in my mind is. You know a couple in their
1: 60s or 70s that walks into it and they say you know i'm i've had cancer for so many years i've had chronic pain for so many years and i've heard that girl scout cookies might help me and they know absolutely nothing about cannabis but the fact is, is that scientists um, are much better able to predict or to to direct that patient toward a specific strain uh, much more than the butt tender is so um the goal, hopefully, is to be able to identify some characteristics of particular plants that are individually um, efficacious for specific types of conditions. So we know that not all strains help individuals go to sleep. In fact, some strains uh, create more energy, other strains cause you to wanna work or to think about things or and so forth. So the point is that it would be really helpful if we could identify particular aspects Of the plant that um, are most effective for particular types of conditions. And, um, The reason why that's important is because the plant is so variable in its effects. You know, from one strain to another, you get one strain making you fall asleep, another one you're running around doing yard work. And with regards to the visceral sensations, you get a kind of a broad array there as well. Um, In terms of focus, it's really interesting. Some folks uh, tend to proclaim that cannabis causes them to become distracted or distractible. Other folks claim that cannabis causes them to focus on a particular task and kind of like, you know, Uh, block out all the external stressors and stuff like that and it could be the case that these individual strains are reacting with individual body types in ways that we just need to further understand.
0: That's interesting. You know what? That's why I call it Good Guys Grow, because I like growing the knowledge with people like you and understanding more of whatever this is doing. It's easier for me to explain to certain people and everything else. Let me ask you, I'm sure everybody's going to say, well, you know, there's side effects, there's THC, I'm going to get a stone. There's this type of... During your data and research, is there any major side effects compared to the... The normal medicine side effects is there such a big variance between the two that we need to know about sure well you know the scientific literature has
1: documented
0: thousands
1: of negative side effects as a result of cannabis use so this is documenting every possible negative reaction that a study report that a participant reported that was enrolled in a study now the point that i need to make is that the vast, vast majority of these side effects are not serious. Okay? So the most frequently experienced side effect is something like confusion or feeling drowsy. Now that, you know, feeling drowsy is not optimal if you're flying a plane, yes. But if you just compare that one-to-one with the side effects of conventional medications, which almost every single one of them has a toxicity level that can be reached and unfortunately is reached by our family members, you know, it, it's a, it's, it, it puts it on a different plane altogether. So, um, you know, I mentioned that this plant seems to be a super medication and I'll just reiterate why. So it has such a wide therapeutic potential. Um, and likewise, it's so fast acting. And then you couple that with the minimal side effects and you have something that oftentimes patients are substituting in place of their conventional medications. You mentioned a reduction in uh, opiates, whether street opiates or prescription opiates. Yeah, we've done a study basically showing that once people enroll in a state authorized medical cannabis program and are able to obtain cannabis legally, and that is the key. So once people feel um, that they could um, reliably access cannabis, that's when you tend to see them letting go of their conventional medications, not stocking up in their their cabinet and so forth. And at least from patient reports, you know, they just are getting sick of the negative side effects. If you talk about opiates, including the toxicity levels, there are so many physiological consequences of opiate use that, um, you know, oftentimes they're unbearable. And if you just talk about the psychological consequences of opiate use, it tends to strip people's personality away from them. It removes them from their normal social activities. And it's it just certainly dampens quality of life. And it's not to say that there's no need for opiates out there. Certainly opiates are vital for acute uh, pain, but um, with regard to chronic pain that never goes away, you know, the Band-Aid is like a big old sledgehammer that, you know, you could you could use it, but it has all these unintended consequences on so many different aspects of our life. So um, yeah, there, I, I, I meet a lot of people and I've measured it directly of uh, folks uh, substituting many different classes of medications for cannabis once again, they're given that legal opportunity to access it. Amazing,
0: I couldn't agree more with you. Final question for you, what do you see the future? Now that uh, the new administration's in, it seems like they're all in for legalizing it. Do you see it somehow changing the way things go or going a little faster for you guys to do more research? How, how do you see it in the future? Well, um, <laughs> I cannot predict the future. <laughs> uh, I, I can't even understand the past
1: to be honest, but um, you know, I. Oftentimes, I'm very frustrated with this situation. Um, as a society, uh, I think that the effects of cannabis have been kept from us. They've, we've been lied uh, to for many generations, and um, our tax dollars have been misappropriated, in my opinion. Um, the, the common citizen doesn't realize how much money is wasted uh, through academia. And they also, I think, don't oftentimes understand that these funding sources are really specific and you know they're basically dictated from the top down and they create uh funding opportunities that the individual scientist like me requires to be able to progress in their job so what that means is that Scientists like me, uh, individual scientists, are oftentimes not very independent. We have to study what there is funding for. So you know, essentially, you know, you got a lot of smart people that are putting a lot of effort into trying to improve the world, but they're canalized in ways that are really not allowing them to objectively uh, evaluate what they might uh, be intending to. So um, you know, we we have this past. I mentioned that I think that we're at this watershed moment where enough of us know other family members and friends that say, hey, you know, we've all kind of heard that cannabis is bad, but I kind of tried it and it helped me sleep. And it didn't seem, you know, I didn't, I I was able to have more patience around my kids and, you know, I wasn't fighting with my spouse as much. and, And, you know, I was able to look at the clouds or whatever and appreciate them. So I think that, you know, the common man and woman understands that there's something special here. In terms of the bureaucracy, Um, the administration, the conflicts of interest, those have been fighting to the nail up to this point. So, um, you got, so the biggest uh, lobbyists against cannabis reformation laws have been big alcohol, big pharma, private prison. Those entities are not going away. They're holding on as best they can. Um, So, you know, I don't know what to say. I've, you know, I've, done this work where where I look at uh, the amount of opiates that the individual patient is reducing in their life. And I look at these graphs and I could just convert that to billions of dollars going down, down, down. And that is that is a lot of power that is being taken away from these companies. Um, And that's why really I I call cannabis an existential threat to the pharmaceutical industry, because it will essentially replace many different classes of medications. and. Those conflicts are not going to go away anytime soon, regardless of the administration. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, um, my wife is actually an expert at at cannabis uh, regulations and policy. She's an economist. And she'll tell you that every region in the country has its own set of laws. And they also have their own set of conflicts of interest and different types of monopolies in play and so forth. And, you know, here in New Mexico, we don't have the most ideal medical cannabis situation or program, um, for many different reasons. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of conflicts out there and she oftentimes get, gets frustrated because the federal government oftentimes tries to impress different types of regulations that don't seem to make sense. So they just seem to be either punitive or essentially designed to, uh, either distract or to impede Um, the private industry, the private cannabis industry, and it seems to be that's the sole reason for different types of regulations and so forth. So, um, I guess what I'll say is that there's so many entities out there that have conflicts of interest that it's going to take more individuals with confident voices telling their friends and their neighbors, hey, you know what, I used to take that medication and I found that this was a little bit better for me. And it's not to say that cannabis uh, might be For everybody I did mention I think that most people I think can benefit from it in some in some way in some aspect of their life but I think that people deserve the opportunity to get a fair shake at what currently exists out there and to be able to see a fuller picture I think that that we deserve that as human beings I think it's you know a basic civil right that we should have to have uh, at least uh, knowledge of access to different types of opportunities And um, that's that's part of our goal is just to endow that that uh, confidence in folks and to let them know that there are options out there.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I agree with you. Once once we they start letting us self-medicate ourselves and trying to find stuff to make us feel good. Just look at the health industry. Buying healthy food is so much more expensive than actually going, you know, going to McDonald's and stuff like that. So I see you heading out the same way. Dr. Vigil, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Uh, I do know that you do have uh, uh, your medical cannabis research fund. You take donations. I'm going to put that on the bottom of this this podcast so people can donate so you can do more research because your research is absolutely, from what I've seen, is is phenomenal. Thank you so much. And that's why I started that medical cannabis research fund. It's
1: uh, mcrf.unm.edu. And I basically started it because it's almost, it's nearly impossible to obtain federal funding to conduct all this very important, significant work. So I just had to create a different mechanism in general to to generate the revenue that I need to pay participants to pay for pencils and so forth. So as I mentioned, I dedicated my life to this and I am so very blessed to have the opportunity to serve my fellow man and woman.
0: Well, all of us that are actually using the plan for stuff and helping other people, we appreciate all your research. Thank you very much. You have yourself a wonderful day hey everybody thank you for listening to the show and like i said at the beginning of the show i'll have some links for you so if you're interested in starting your podcast yourself one of the best places to go is podcast powertrain right now they're doing an, an amazing offer for all their course material if you want to actually help get your uh, show ranked all you got to do is go to gooddudesgrow.com forward slash powertrain and you'll get all the information there also if you're looking for a platform not sure which platform to use to so, record your show on riverside fm is the one we use you can also go to good forward slash riverside check them out and you will not be disappointed again thank you for all listening to the show and we will see you well we'll see you but good
1: dudes grow 2.0 thank you for tuning in if you're still listening to this that means you gained something out of this episode So make sure you share it with a friend Leave a review and subscribe So you never miss an episode of The Good Dudes Grow 2.0